the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, 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 and welcome back. This is Comedian Nazareth, and you're listening to SoCal Live on KKLA, my favorite station in the whole world. And uh, uh, last hour we had Dr. Rod, who's an infectious disease physician at MD Anderson. But right now we have an equal guest, uh, uh, a man I just met a couple weeks ago in Colorado. I've heard a lot about, I read his book, and... He is Dr. Mark Sheehan is a board certified cardiologist and has been practicing medicine since 81. He's a member of South Denver Cardiology Associates and an associate professor of medicine at the University of Colorado Health Science Center. He's a co-founder of the Christian Medical Ministry to Cambodia, Jeremiah's Hope. He leads numerous medical teams to Cambodia to teach the Cambodian medical community and care for the poor under the banner of Jesus Christ. I love this. He, Mark and his wife, Linda, they live in Denver and have two grown children. And I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Sheehan. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Nazareth. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes talking about your book, and then I'm going to talk to you about the heart, you know, because you are a cardiologist, you know about the heart. So uh, you wrote the book called Healing Prayer on Holy Ground. Why did you write this book? You know, Nazareth, I, like many physicians, bought into the idea that I was in charge and I was in control of things, but the good Lord took me, broke me, and told me who's really in charge. And I had a uh, experience with one of my patients uh, named Casey, who had a near-death experience that uh, just blew my mind. And uh, it was because of her that I uh, I wrote the book. And what what's 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 her experience? What was it? Uh, you know, because some people say, "Oh, I saw," you know. Uh, you know, I, I went. You know, I died, and I saw light at the end of the tunnel. All that. What, what, what made you convinced as a physician that this is true? What she saw, and not just hallucination or something like that. Well, her story was certainly valid for a lot of reasons. I'd be glad to go into that if you'd like me to with your audience. Yes, please. You know, it was back in. Uh, uh, it was a Friday evening back in 1989, and uh, it was the 30th of, uh, of December, and the following day, Saturday, I was going to take my wife and my mother and stepfather on a cruise. So I was, I was 15 minutes away from vacation when I got a call to go to the Swedish Medical Center ICU where a lady was uh, in a full cardiac arrest. So I raced over there. And uh, for the next three hours, worked on her. Uh, I was in her, uh, we were in the special procedure room. I was inserting special catheters in her neck vein to measure the pressure in the lung. I put a special catheter in her groin artery to raise her blood pressure and to increase her cardiac output. 
I had her on all the special medicines we had at that time. Uh, we performed a stat echocardiogram, and all these numbers showed that her cardiac function was not compatible with life. And after three uh, hours of working on her, I went into the uh, waiting room and talked to her husband, Jim, and told her, told him that I did not think she was going to make it, that the numbers were not compatible with life. And I went home and I wept, and my wife uh, uh, helped me through that. And uh, we went on our vacation, and I came back uh, a week later fully expecting her to be dead. In fact, she was out of the ICU better, and uh, I didn't understand that. Uh, and uh, about six weeks after this episode, she shows up in my office uh, unannounced and gives me a, a copy of her testimony, which she uh, she shared with me, and she said that uh, while I was working on her, she actually saw me working on her. She saw me put the catheters in her groin and neck, didn't understand that. She saw another one of her doctors get into his car, and she actually saw the car driving the route he took, that there was snow on the ground. Wow. And then she said she found herself in a different place. She found herself uh, in front of this huge structure, huge structure, uh, made of 12 uh, layers of, of colored stones, and there were gates on each side of this cube, and uh, and uh, the, these gates were made of a pearl-like substance. And uh, then she uh, realized that she was hearing voices in a choir, and as she, and so she heard a a, vo a choir raised. And as she listened critically to this, she realized that these are voices of prayer that were raised up for her. And if you know, Nazareth, if you listen uh, closely to a symphony, you'll, you can hear the violins or the bass or, the, or mm -hmm. the different instruments. And as she listened carefully to this choir, she realized these were friends of hers who were praying for her. She recognized distinctly the two voices of her uh, her pastor. She also heard the voice of uh, David Hay, who was in her Bible study, and then a booming, uh, a booming voice that was louder than any of the others that said, and the gates of darkness shall not prevail. He was like a prayer warrior, a booming voice. Mm. And... Uh, and then she found herself in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord told her that he had heard the prayers of faith and the prayers of the faithful and was sending her back. And uh, he prepared a meal of a dove, and she partook of the elements of the dove and the broth. And then after she that, did that, there was a great silence and she heard a snapping sound and looked up, and she saw a blanket of feathers coming uh, down. And as soon as that blanket of feathers touched her, she woke up in her bed, and, uh, and that's her story. And uh, she and I became very close. We did some interviews together on uh, some Christian radio stations and. uh in uh, Denver, and uh, she actually uh, came and spoke, 
spoke to our uh, John to Koinonia group. Mm. But uh, Casey's story was an amazing story. She had never read the book of Revelation, Nazareth. Oh. One of her high school friends who was a pastor told her she needed to go read uh, Revelation, and uh, especially Revelation chapter 21. Mm. And in Revelation 21, it describes uh, St. Uh, John's experience of the this new uh, new Jerusalem coming yes. down out of heaven, and as and in this that book he described these different layers of stone, and he said, uh, and I can read it for you: the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like glass. The foundations of the wall of the cities were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then, then St. John describes these 12 different stones, and she didn't know what these words meant, so she went to a dictionary and looked them up and realized that these were descriptions of semi-precious quartz stones, and she had seen them. This was her image. So the image that St. John describes in Revelation 29 is the same image that she saw. He must have seen the same thing she saw. And she never read that. You know, Dr. Sheehan, uh, we are we are speaking to Dr. Sheehan. He is um, a cardiologist in uh, Colorado, and he is the author of The Healing Prayer on Holy Ground. Until reading your book, I... I have to be honest. I used to think people who say I saw a light at the end of the tunnel or that, I say this is hallucination, invent visions, or be deceived by a vision sent by Satan. But when you hear what you wrote in your book and her testimony, how she saw the color, what kind of car the ER doctor and what route and what they prayed. And she also kind of remembered when you prayed for her that she heard you praying. So, But my question right now, when it changed to you, I mean, how you know— a lot of physicians and a lot of scientists are not Christians. Why is that? I mean, it's so unique to find you and Dr. Rod, who had earlier, that believing Christians in Jesus Christ. Well, there's a, a wonderful book called The Power of Prayer by E.M. Bounds. I'd recommend your audience pick a, up a copy, as well as pick up a copy of, of my book. But in this <laughs> book, E.M. Bounds, he says that the pride of learning is against a dependent humility of prayer. And prayer, in a lot of ways, is a dependent, a dependent humility before God, uh, Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Uh, prayer is powerful. Less than 50% of doctors believe in God, and, and that, I believe, is related to pride. When a medical student gets into medical school, they are very proudful because they say, I did this, I worked my tail off to get in here. So they start off very proudful to begin with. Uh, and I think pride is a big issue. Now, let me just say one thing else about Casey's experience, because I think it's sure. very powerful. When she was recovering in the hospital in Nazareth and people came to visit her, her two pastors came in and, and, uh, and visited her, and Casey thanked them for praying for her, and they acknowledged that. And another fellow came in, uh, and he, uh, she thanked him for praying for her, but he said, yes, but I prayed silently. And Casey said, yes, but where I was standing in the presence of the Lord, your prayer came across 
loud and clear. Wow. And the fourth, uh, the fourth voice that she distinctly heard was a, a man named Stan Walters. And Stan's voice was the booming voice, and I called him a, a prayer warrior. And when I'm in church sometimes and I hear people stand up and say sometimes things that I know are according to the will of God, I, I know that I'm in the presence of, a, of a, a warrior, a general in the army, and I listen to those people. Praise God. This so is tell your listeners that when you pray, silent prayers are powerful and they're heard. Amen. You know, you said in your book that, uh, you know, about dying partners and sometimes they need that permission to die. It's okay. But you said something that sometimes dying partners suggesting future spouses. Now, I am I'm a comedian. So when I read that, it was it was funny because, you know, it, there was an old joke that says, you know, this dying woman. It's always a woman that suggests a, a future spouse, not the other way around. But there's always the wife that's going, honey, when I die with you, uh, I want you to get married. But would you let her sleep in our bed? He goes, uh, no. She goes, yeah, I want to. He goes, would you let her drive my car? He goes, no, I won't. She goes, oh, I want to. He, she said, would you let her use my golf clubs? He, he goes, she's left-handed. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> but what is your take on that when you wrote your book? Like sometimes dying partners suggest future spouses and then giving permission to die. Yeah, that's a, that's a very tender question, Nazareth. And mm. one of my one of my very dear partners, his wife Patty, was dying of breast cancer, and they had uh, they had three children, and and he was uh, the love of his life, and and she was awesome, and and uh, they did a bone marrow transplant. They were hopeful that that would take care of it, but then within a short period of time, the cancer came back, and they know knew her condition was terminal, and and. Uh, I went to visit Carl and Patty one day uh, at their home, and and uh, and Carl and Patty had this wonderful love. And Patty was trying to fix up Carl, who he should date after she died, and all this kind of stuff. Of course, uh, Carl dismissed all that because he was still focused on Patty. Uh-huh. But one day uh, when I was off, I went to their home and sat down on the bed of Patty. She was kind of in a coma, a comatose state. And on the other side of the bed was sitting Patty's sister. So we were kind of just sitting there uh, holding Patty's hand. Then Patty kind of came out of her stupor and looked at me because Carl and I kind of look a little bit alike. Mm-hmm. And I quickly got off the bed and went and grabbed Carl and, Carl came and sat on the bed and uh, held Patty's hand. And Patty looked up at Carl and said, uh, am I dying? And Carl said, yes, honey, but you've done everything right. It's okay. Mm-hmm. He was giving her permission to die, Nazareth. And mm-hmm. I was very honored to be there because it's one of the most tender moments uh, I've uh I can remember, and the reason I wrote the book, and I think your audience needs to hear this, oh, yes. is that Great book. the dying I love it. room is holy ground. God is always there. The doctors don't want to be there. The family doesn't want to be in a dying room because they don't have the answers, but God is always there. And he uses that time for great healing, and the things that are said 
in that context are healing by themselves. Amen. Amen. We're listening to Dr. Mark Sheehan. He is a cardiologist, and you are listening to SoCal Live on KKLA. And uh, since I have a cardiologist on the phone, and, he, you know, when I met with you a couple of weeks ago, we're having dinner, and right away, you know, I, I started asking about the heart and about heart attacks because, you know, people are very scared about COVID, but the heart attack is a is a major cause of death in the United States. What, how do you, someone, you know, people who are listening, how what do you do to keep your heart healthy? Well, that's why I went into cardiology. My dad had a heart attack at a, as a young man, uh-huh. and he died as a young man. He was a smoker, despite his doctors telling him to quit smoking. He continued to smoke and died at age 58. And uh, uh, that's one of the reasons, Nazareth, I went into cardiology. So a sizable, a sizable portion of my practice was in preventing heart disease. Mm. I was an interventional cardiologist, which meant I also would go into the hospital in the middle of the night and see people having heart attacks and try to open up their artery, put in a stent, and, and hopefully save their lives. So that was a, also a part of my practice. Wow. But when I, I had a sizable amount of patients who came to me and said, what do I need to do to not get heart disease? And the message I would give is hope that they can prevent heart disease. And these are the major risk factors. First of all, smoking. You should not smoke. If your parents smoked and you smoked, you have the same risk of heart disease as your parents. If your parents smoked and you do not smoke, only one-third of that risk passes down to you. You should uh, have a normal blood pressure. You should not have diabetes. You should uh, exercise regularly, and I would say 30 minutes a day or 40 minutes three to four times a week. Uh, uh, I would recommend being in love, go to church. Now, the other key point here is cholesterol, and Back when I was in medical school, Nazareth, we didn't know that much. And the normal cholesterol level uh, when I went to medical school was up to 300. Yes. And since that time, we've learned a great deal more. And if a patient or of mine has multiple risk factors, as I explained to you, prior smoking, hypertension, family history, I want his LDL or bad cholesterol less than 70. I want his total cholesterol less than 200. And if he can get that with a low-fat, low-cholesterol diet, fine. If not, then we we have some good medicines that have been shown to prevent heart disease. So it's a a total package, Nazareth. I recommend people exercise regularly. Check their blood pressure. Make sure their blood pressure is normal. No smoking, low-fat, low-cholesterol diet. Make sure your lipids are at the goal uh, of your physician. Uh, I also recommend be in love and go to church. All those have been shown to make a significant improvement in one's outcome. Amen. In one minute, can you— If someone has heart disease, Uh you can still treat it by— the same uh, interventions. Amen. In one minute, can you tell us about Jeremiah's Hope, the, your ministry in Cambodia? Jeremiah's Hope was founded by Dr. Dan Smith and myself. It's a Christian 
international ministry that goes to Cambodia to care for the poor. Uh, and we do complex medicine, complex surgery, and we take care of the poor. We teach the physicians in Cambodia, and we also minister to uh, in the, under the banner of Jesus to our uh, medical uh, and nursing uh, staff in Cambodia. We are right now on a uh, – we've been doing this since 2000, so we've been over there for 21 years. We hope to raise $1.2 million to build a medical facility uh, of our own uh, so we can have our own operating rooms, own cath lab, uh, own open-heart surgery program so that we can do over there. And, uh, and how can people— Cambodian physicians that uh, staff it, and we have 25 Cambodian nurses that take care of these patients— uh, throughout the, the week. Amen. How can people support this? How can they get a hold of it? How can they give money to it? What, what Where can they go? Well, um, the website is C... Hold on just a minute. Okay, no problem. If they can reach to KKLA, we can... We can give it to them. Uh, you are listening to uh, Soka Live, uh, and coming up will be comedian Shonda Pierce. I am comedian Nazareth, and let's see if Dr. Sheehan has uh, the the location, the site to go to. Yeah. The, our website is www.cmmcjh.org. Uh-huh. I'll say that again. Yes. It's cmmcjh.com about org and that stands for the Christian Medical Ministry to Cambodia Jeremiah's home. Amen. If you need to know more, you can contact me, uh, Comedian Nazareth, online under Nazareth USA, and I will give you that website. Thank you so much, Dr. Sheehan, for your time. We appreciate it. We love you. I'm so glad you're on this side of heaven with us as a cardiologist, and we'll be back with Comedian Shonda Pierce. Hello, 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 and welcome back to SoCal Live on KKLA. The entire Los Angeles area is listening to this, and uh, uh, we had a great time with Dr. Mark Sheehan, the cardiologist. Before that, uh, infectious disease doctor, Dr. Rod, and now we have the doctor of laughter. Not me. I'm a, <laughs> it's uh, Shonda Pierce, an Emmy-nominated and best-selling comedian. Uh, she, uh, you know... Billboard magazine dubbed her as a country comic. She's been making audiences laugh for more than two decades with her winning combination of fierce. What am I talking? She's my friend. She's a she. She makes movies. She sells out more arenas and more uh, you know seats than any comedian, mainstream or Christian or any other. She is amazingly funny. She's an author and just. Shonda, welcome to the show. Nazareth, you're too kind to me. You're too kind to me. You know, I am I am just off the road for a great weekend and it is so good to be back to work. We had four shows and saw seven thousand people and um and it was so good to be you know, some some buildings had masks on, 
Some did, which is really hard to make a group laugh when they're, you know, when you can't kind of hear their laughing. Right. But it was, um, it was great. It was just good to be back to work. So my voice is a little ragged because you got to, you know, you got to get that muscle trained again. And, uh, and at the same time, Nazareth, because we are friends, I am too old for this. No, you're not. And you know what, Shonda? Uh, I brought you here not for the laughter, but you have a story and encouragement to people that's amazing. Mm. We work, we tour together. We're, number one, you're very humble. Uh, for someone who's at your caliber, you're very humble. But, you know, you've been through hell and back. I mean, you, you, you know, just the stories of how you're a young widow. You lost your husband. You're, yeah. You know, your daughter's in strange. You're you 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 went through uh what do you call it um depression and yes. you know tell us a little bit from you know the trajectory nobody wants you know everybody wants your career everybody wants to sell out this huge <laughs> events but nobody wants the trajectory of Shonda Pierce's life you were born your yes. dad was a pastor in well, or tell me tell us about it know, I'll listen the interesting thing um I will say this. First of all, I got to say this. You know, I did get that award from the RIA, the people that give gold records and all that, as the most awarded female comic in history. And and it was sweet because my husband was there at the ceremony, and we laughed and we and and were shocked because <laughs> I remember telling the man from the recording arts industry. And I said, uh, I just find this hard to believe because there's so many comics I like, you know, Ellen DeGeneres and Whoopi Goldberg and, you know, people that have been so funny for years. And they said, I know we did the math twice because we've never heard of you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? People don't know who we are. <laughs> I may never I may never get that Comedy Central, you know, special or that HBO special, that coveted thing that, you know, you you think you've arrived when you're a comic. Because one, I never, I never kind of went through. I grew up through the comedy club route. I cut my teeth in, you know, in choir practice rooms, and you know, and and I did a few clubs here and there. But for some reason, something sparked, and my crowd grew so fast that we had to. We went straight to arenas and theaters, and and you know, in big buildings. And so, I didn't get to know the the masses of comedy people you know you and a lot of people that i admire so much they they have pals you know in in the comedy world because of the green rooms of comedy clubs and i i didn't get to do that and at the same time i look back at the trajectory of my life and it had to be some kind of divine order because i was going through such dark places and i think if i had tried to navigate my career and travel those dark, dark places, I probably would uh, would be a drug addict and in in and out of rehab and be dead by now, to be honest, because we have lost a lot of comics that have gone through very tough times and because of addictions or or depression. And it's interesting, I as I read up on comics that I admire and watch and listen, and I do sneak into a comedy club and watch a favorite every now and then, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I read up on their lives, and their lives are also touched with great tragedy. And I always wondered if it's maybe we who um, have been through dark places so admire the laugh or so need the laugh or so need the place to unload 
um, that's why we turned toward comedy. And for me, comedy, I feel like, saved my life. You know, I think I would never be doing what I was doing, what I am doing, if it weren't for a comedian named Minnie Pearl. And uh, in the mainstream comedy world, she may not be as iconic a name as Joan Rivers, but for the country music world where I grew up, She's iconic, and I met her and had a, a, a you know relationship with her, um, impersonated her at a theme park for many years, <laughs> and my heart just fell in love with hearing people laugh. And I started weaving in my own little stories of growing up in a southern church somewhere, and and you know and just to see if my material would get a laugh. And I remember sending my first recording to her. And uh, she wrote me the sweetest letter back, and she thought I had really great timing. But she talked about uh, how she could sense that deep underneath that laugh was such a deep-seated hurt and anger. And uh, she could see through that, that the laugh for me uh, was not from a place of peace. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, I think, and I believe this too, I think her my use of comedy before I really got grounded in my faith was uh, was using comedy. And, and what's so precious, comedy's too good for that. It's a great art. It's an amazing uh, ability when a human being can put together words that will evoke an emotion out of someone that is so powerful that it bursts to laugh. That's an art. That's, that, and, and it needs to be respected and, instead of used. And I, I remember for early in my early years, and I can even watch some of my projects in those early years, and I see that edge in me. Um, now, it's always clean because my mama would have washed my mouth out. But, <laughs> but I do I can still see the edge in me uh, where I was just using comedy as a format to vomit on the crowd, you know. And, and later, when peace settled into my life, and I learned how to control my depression, and I learned how to how to structure the anger, and uh, you know, because sarcasm is a wonderful gift, yep. you know. And so I learned what to do with all that pain. Uh, then I be- I began to respect comedy, and I respect those who who try that field. But for me, you know, by the time I was eighteen, both my sisters, who I grew up very close to, had passed away. One was killed in a car wreck, and one died with leukemia, and my pastor father was not a good man and he uh was not the same man in the pulpit as he was at home and he was very abusive and uh and he and he left my mother and I and uh my brother had moved away which I always laugh and go because we didn't like him all that much but (laughs) it was uh but mother and I had to had to be you know in a one-bedroom apartment broke poor you know and start our lives over as a teenager and in that I fell into uh, falling in love with comedy and I was a theater arts major in college and and then after the married years you know and you have kids and and you struggle with the road life and one one does well with mama traveling and one doesn't and and so, uh, you know, I want to hear the story in the, when we come back of this, and I want to sure. hear about even. I know you wrote several books and movies after that, laughing in the dark because people going through all that. You are listening to Shonda Pierce, top-selling comedian of all times, and this is comedian Nazareth. You're listening to SoCal Live on KKLA. We'll be right back after these messages.
Hello, 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 and welcome back to SoCal Live on KKLA. This is Comedian Nazareth, your host for today, and it's so many, that music sounds like a comedian on the road, and speaking of comedian, I have with me the RIAA's best-selling female comedian, not Ellen DeGeneres, not Roseanne, not anybody, it is Shonda Pierce. Thank you, Shonda, for joining me, my good friend, Shonda. I'm always so surprised to hear that because I I just remember how shocked I was and everybody else was. But, but you, you know, are. The numbers say it. The numbers, the ticket sales say it, so you are. It is amazing. It really is. And it's also, I've been at it a long time, at Nazareth, you know, and I, every other day I think about retiring, especially this tour now. Finally getting back to work, I'm going, ooh, i got to condition myself back again to you know, to do this right. You know how many comedians would love for you to retire and take your (laughs) calendar? (laughs) You know, I love your laughter. I love laughter. I'm a comedian. You're a comedian. And we love to bring healing. But you know what? We are living in a time right now where there's a lot of girls, teenagers and younger, they're suffering from anxiety and depression. And you wrote a book that's just so powerful. It's called... uh, Laughing in the darkness and just a gr- laughing in the dark became such a uh, you know it was a time I hit the road, I mean I hit the wall in the middle of it, like a lot of us do. I just burn out, work too hard, was gone too much, whatever that was that contributed to it, and then also you know menopause. They think that contributed to it a little bit, but <laughs> right. whatever it was, I fell into deep, deep, deep dark depression, and um. And I, my family put me in a hospital. And what I thought would probably be the ruin of my career, it really was a resurgence of just sharing what I learned and, you know, trying to do it in a humorous way so people will remember and, and engage in conversation when they leave the concerts. But it um, it became just a labor of love, of, of telling people, you know, depression is nothing to be ashamed of. Anxiety is nothing to be ashamed of. It is your body adjusting to circumstance around you or or a depletion in your in your body. And it's not a it's not a spiritual thing, you know. You you uh, you you know there are people always go, "Do you think it was of the devil?" And I go, "Well, everything dark and ugly is of the devil, but there are ways out of it." And there and God is good, and God is who He says He is, and I. I got on the right meds, but the things I learned through depression and the things I learned like halt, don't let yourself get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. The things I learned about medicine and nutrition and exercise, those things all came into play when this comedian gets shut down and is quarantined and has to hide away. And then I was truly alone because my husband had died and and those 18 months now, almost two years of this country being shut down, it could have truly been my demise had I not gone through some dark times a long time ago to teach me how to navigate through it. So what is it, again, uh, slowly, what is it that helped you? Nutrition? Exercise? All, all of those things help. But for me, it's an emotional journey as well. Mm-hmm. And there is an old phrase, and you can learn it in rehab, you know, or AA and all that. A lot of people, it will resonate with them. But it's a really quick acronym to remember to halt. That means if something is just built up and your anxiety is working overtime and your heart is racing, you halt. 
uh, that means if you're if you begin to cry and you don't know why you're crying and there's really not a whole lot around that you should be crying about, but your body just cries and falls apart, you have to halt. And that means H-A-L-T. Don't let yourself get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And that works in so many ways. For me, I am a spiritual person. I love Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I don't let myself get hungry. That means I don't overeat and beat up the temple God's given me. And I and I don't let myself get hungry for meditation and for God's Word and for the things I know spiritually that, that brings me nourishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't let myself get hungry. I don't let myself get angry. Now, the Bible says be angry, but sin not. That means you're just going to be angry. There's going to be things that come along as angry. Good Lord, turn off the news. <laughs> um, and And... You have to be careful. I always say to people, what goes up must come down. So if you scream your head off at the football game, and then the next day you can't figure out why you're just dragging, it's because you pushed your adrenaline to a level Mm. that is just uh, cannot be sustained. And so for those who are prone to depression or have a depletion in their mind that would lend them to depression, when you come down, you're going to come down even further than the regular person. And so you have to be careful and gauge that anger or that adrenaline. Um, then don't let yourself be lonely. And that's a hard one because we are in an isolated world. But because of technology, you can phone a friend. You can, you know, get on Facebook and see what that the world is still living and going. And, and you can circle your life with some very intimate people that will let you cry or let you talk it out. Um, and being lonely sometimes is go pay a therapist, you know, go find someone to talk to and and then don't let yourself be tired. I take a nap every day. Now, I do it because I'm going to go work at 7 o'clock and be funny in front of a couple of thousand people. Mm-hmm. But I take a nap every day even when I'm not working. I'm I like I you. I love, <laughs> love yeah. naps. Everything you... off for at least one hour. It doesn't mean I always sleep. But it means for one hour a day, I will stop and meditate and be quiet and be still and let my body rest and unwind. On a, in a comedian's life, you know, and if there is any comedian out there listening that are, is wondering who the heck I am, uh, my thing is my, I love comics, the bravery of it. But what happens if you're not careful, we can get addicted to that adrenaline rush yes. as if it's a drug. Yes. And you have to remember our work is just our work. It's not who we are, and it's not our life. And and so the applause and the laughter, and it, it's addictive, and you want it, and you want to get out there again, it's not natural to feel that every day. And if you're craving to feel that every day, you're going to fall into some type of addiction or a chemical um, addiction that makes you want that and makes you want to feel and not feel what life really is. You're and, right. You're right. I used to yeah, tell and I'm comedians. Yeah, I'm afraid to feel the tough days. You know, they're, yeah. they're not going to kill you. And uh, sometimes success scared me more than failure because you it can be very intoxicating. And so I, I try to keep it all in perspective. You know, you're right. I used because to hang my gold records in a closet for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have this problem, but you know what? I used to tell comedians, I said, don't let your calendar dictate how you feel. You know, if it's full, you're happy. If it's not, but you know what I admire about you? You're very honest. Like you, you open up before the audience in an amazing way. But have you noticed? 
a difference in the audience response to jokes after COVID? Is there is there a difference than before, or is it the same? I think uh, I, I think right now, and I, you know, we've only been on the road now for eight shows um, since we've been allowed to go, and so I see people are so excited to just be out and about that it's a that it's an easy laugh. You know, now to sustain it for a two and a half hour show, you better start giving them something because they got out of the house, you know. Yeah. So, how many people know, did it, you have in the last eight shows? How many people? Eight shows altogether, probably, probably 21,000. Yeah, because it's, uh, we did, we did 7,000 this last weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is when I was. 7,000 so 7, people. 000. And, and these four shows, and we probably did eight or nine thousand the weekend before. So, <laughs> and so, what do you say to a promoter or a pastor or someone who puts out event that is scared right now? Like, I don't know, what do we do? People will not show up. What do you say to them, Shonda? Well, you know, and and this is the truth for anybody. We, you can read all you can. You can study the science, which I do. I I had COVID, and I, and believe me, it was horrible. Um, I got vaccinated. I even had people come and want to pray over me for <laughs> repentance because I got vaccinated. And they make really great material. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you say to them. What do you say to them when they say you shouldn't take any medication? Or... Oh, yeah. There are people that told me I shouldn't talk about antidepressants because my faith looks weak. And I told her, well, take your glasses off and drive home. You know, we are <laughs> we are in a world that I believe in a country that is still very blessed by God. You could talk to some people and the country's falling apart. You could talk to the next person that's the greatest country in the world. So Amen. at some point in this country, we're going to have to trust ourselves and trust our heart. Now, it doesn't mean to go out there and be stupid. I, I, I have the vaccine. But I will still grab a mask and keep it in my purse in case I get in an area where people are so jammed and and close. Mm. You know, I just want to be careful. Um, We have so much protocols in place at these shows. Mm. Uh, Most of the buildings hold twice of what we can, but we only fill it up halfway, you know, um, and halfway is considered a sellout now because we want to we want to be able to make people to be able to distance if uh, that's what makes them feel safer. Okay, and Shanda, it's about, in, really, it's yeah. about personal choice. Amen. Shanda, how it's can people? I want to, in this last minute, we only have a few seconds left. I just want the people to know, how can they go and you know online and watch you? Or I know you're not having anything in L.A. soon, but how can people get a hold of you? How can they watch your stuff? How can they? You know, uh, interesting, you could Google my name and see more than you really need to. Uh, I noticed two or three pirated you know, pieces are on YouTube now, so yeah. there you go. Shonda.org. Shonda.org. C-H-O-N-D-A. Shonda, thank you so, so, so much for being this. I would love to have you back when I get the opportunity to host again. You guys are listening to SoCal Live on KKLA. This is Comedian Nazareth. Help us bring laughter to your city, to your town, to your church, to your retreat, to your thing. Just let us know. I'm under Comedian Nazareth on Google, or you can go NazarethUSA.com, and I have a show every weeknight at 8.30 p.m. on Facebook under Comedian Nazars. Come laugh with us for an hour. Thank you so much, and you guys have a blessed, blessed day, and good night. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.